I'm Lauren Edwards, and you are listening to Slapcast. Hello, and happy holidays. We are one week away from Christmas, and this entire area of town, and I'm sure other places, wherever you are, is ablaze with traffic and shoppers. The area that I'm used to being around, uh, which is close to some of our larger malls here in Columbus, like Polaris and Easton, they are simply put nuts. They are nuts. Like you can't find parking places. There's people everywhere. This is why I shop online. I love people, but crowds and lines are not my thing. Um, This is episode 23, so if you're counting, we are almost to 24, which I'm super excited about. Um, And if you need to get me something for Christmas, I will let you do that. But all I really want is more Slapcast subscribers. So if you could like and subscribe, share, I would greatly appreciate it. You can find us on all the socials at, at Relay Leadership. Now, today, I'm really pumped to introduce you to someone I met about two years ago. Lauren Edwards is the principal and owner at Next Step Business Consulting. Consulting and executive director at Sea Change, and you're going to find out what those things are in a, in a little while. When we decided to step into the arena of social enterprise here at Relay, her name came up as someone that I should meet. Relay, for those of you who don't know, has a social enterprise. We deliver workshops, assessments, these leadership programs, and more as a part of our funding model for our nonprofit. Then we take a portion of those proceeds put them back into the community in the form of scholarships on a sliding scale to smaller nonprofits who couldn't otherwise afford leadership development experiences. So I went to Lauren to get some input, some advice, and because she knew about this stuff, she became intrigued and wanted to learn a little bit more about one of those programs, which is NextGen. And if you've been listening the last few episodes, you've heard me talk about enrollment is open for NextGen. I've mentioned this program several times But the long story short is she ended up enrolling in the 2018 program herself. So she's an alum. Now we've stayed in touch since then on and off. And I thought of her as as a guest and you are about to see why. So let's meet Lauren Edwards. Lauren, I'm so glad you are here. Thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me. Well, it's almost been a year since I've seen you, I think, just about. Mm -hmm. Um, You and I met, I want to say it was about two years ago, maybe a little less. Mm -hmm. And I honestly can't remember who recommended that we meet. It was was either Dan Sharp or... Tony Wells, someone in in that space. You and I met and we were actually talking about, I thought we were going to talk about one thing and we did talk about one thing, but then you learned a little bit about our organization and the end of that story is you went through one of our programs called NextGen, which you finished in the 2018 year. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of loosely kept in touch since then. And I thought, I told everybody in the introduction what you do from a very general standpoint, but I was hoping you could share with the audience more about what you do, both on the sea change front and your consulting 
company? Sure. Um, and they're they're definitely related, so I'd be happy to do that. Um, I'll start with the consulting firm. So it's Next Step Business Consulting, and we exist in order to help alleviate poverty. And the way that we do that is we help others to achieve their vision. And what that really means, it's very jargony, but what that means is we work on the implementation side of plans. So people are going to go out and they're going to make a plan. They're going to try to achieve it. A lot of people who work in the social service sector are overworked. Um, they have three jobs. You know, they're wearing three hats. They're trying to get everything done, but they've got this great strategic plan that's supposed to help and have way more impact. And they can't design the program or they can't just like push this project across the finish line or, you know, they just need a little bit of help. And so that's where Next Step comes in. We'll come in and, and do that program development, which includes social enterprise development if, if that's needed. Um, we'll do the project management. We'll help even sometimes staff things for a little bit, like, you know, a few hours a week because that's what's needed in order to, to get something done. Um, and the reason I started with Next Step, um, we work with amazing clients, um, many, many nonprofits, but also some for-profits that just want to do good. They want to do- Oh, interesting. Um, I didn't know that better, more, I won't say better, but more than maybe just cutting a check to to a nonprofit or to a charity. They want to do more than just going one time a year and volunteering. Um, they want to integrate doing good into the business that they do. And so we work with them as well. Um, but one of our very first clients was actually a, a foundation out of Northeast Ohio called the Business of Good Foundation. And they were interested in bringing a social enterprise accelerator program to Columbus. They had run it once in Cleveland at the time. They wanted to, they had run it once in Columbus. They wanted to expand that. And they hired Next Step to do that. And so that is Sea Change, which you know grew exponentially from there, and has since been. Um, we spun it out into its own nonprofit entity with myself as the executive director, um, and we've launched. We've taken our curriculum that's now been proven. We've we've run it four times here in Columbus. Um, we have data to support the success of our social enterprises, and um, we've run it in Cleveland, and we're we're expanding that curriculum to include both online versions that anybody can take and then also affiliate partnerships in other cities. And so we're really excited about that. Um, I'll take a step back and define social enterprise because that's a, Please. a somewhat new <laughs> concept for people. Um, so depending on who you talk to, there may be a, a handful of different kind of definitions out there. There's not like one definite final version of something, but the pieces that everybody agrees on is that a social enterprise is a business that um, has kind of a sustainable financial business plan. You know, they're going to run like a business, but they simultaneously have a non-negotiable, measurable social impact. And so there are examples of different business models around that. Um, there can be kind of a buy one, give one model. If you think okay. of Tom's Shoes as a good kind of national or international example, um, there can be organizations that exist because they want to provide what's called second chance employment. So individuals who have been incarcerated or who have been victims of um, human trafficking. Um, there are a bunch of different business models out there. And Sea uh, Change exists to work with entrepreneurs and people who've maybe been in business for a few years, but really just flying by the seat of their pants and put them through a 14 module training program that's 
fast and furious and crazy. Uh, we put them through that training program. They get mentors, they get facilitators, they get all kinds of support along the way. Um, we have a big pitch event to kind of launch them all out into society at the end. And uh, the folks we've had now, 94 alumni, wow. and they are seeing massive amounts of success, um, solid revenue numbers, solid numbers of people impacted, um, and just crazy numbers of them that are still in business um, after a few years, which is unusual in the entrepreneurship space. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so I have a really good understanding of what you do. This isn't the first time we've talked about this. <laughs> and so thank you for explaining that for the audience. When you think about um, leaders doing good while doing business, this is really the space that you're in and how you're helping people do this more. First of all, what is the biggest barrier? I, you already mentioned one of them, which is these folks are wearing multiple hats. They're doing, especially in the nonprofit, well, in, in a startup company too, right? I mean, yeah. you're just doing everything. Um, setting that aside, what do you think is one of the biggest barriers to them really getting a social enterprise off the ground? So I'm, I'm a nonprofit leader, and now I want to start a social enterprise, and I'm, you know... I'm just doing all the things and it's fledgling. It's a great idea. It's got great impact, yeah. but it's not succeeding mainly because of all the other things that I'm doing. So what is the biggest barrier that they have? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think, um, you hit the nail on the head with a capacity piece of it. I mean, that's that's always a challenge. And that's where, you know, Sea Change can help. That's where Next Step can help. There are other awesome resources. I mean, Columbus is a Columbus specifically is a great place for social enterprise. There's a lot of support. Um, I would also even back it up a step further and say, okay, so if we just compared just entrepreneurs and we take entrepreneurs kind of across the spectrum of people who are starting businesses. We can have people who are out there who are really dead set and ready to start kind of a nonprofit, you know, organization and they're going to do good and they are going to be um, supported by philanthropy and donations and they know what they're doing. And so they really are, are fortunate. It's, it's hard and not to say that it's not hard, but they're fortunate that they get to think mostly about the doing good part, the doing the impact that right. they're going to have. Um, and if you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, we've got folks that are out there that want to start a for-profit business for profit. You know, they want to make money. They want to eventually go public and sell it or, you know, whatever they want to do. And they're also, it's also hard. It's a difficult journey, but they're fortunate that they only really have to think about the business side of it. But people who are trying to start a social enterprise have to think about both and they have to constantly be balancing, okay, well, if I, you know, spend this money on my mission, then I won't have it to expand my product. Or if I spend my money on my product, then I won't have it to spend, or if I spend my time doing this, then what, you, you know, just what? describe my thought process every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, and that, that is it. You're I right. Mean, so if I'm going to say like, what is the barrier and it's, and it's not, um, the piece of it that leads to capacity, you know, that links that to capacity is that, also, very few people have both sets of those expertise, right? Yeah. You can you can understand impact, you can understand the operations and dollars and performas and you know kind of everything you need for a business, but it's hard to understand both. And so, one of the barriers specific to the nonprofit sector that's trying to start as social enterprises, they often want to do that with the existing staff, and the existing staff may uh. not have the business knowledge that they need in order to launch. And that's where, you know, Again, there are a lot of resources out there, you know, mine included, but there are a lot of resources out there that can help um, figure that out. 
So what are the different ways businesses can, leaders can do good? I know we've, we've mentioned social enterprise, but there are other yeah, ways. So absolutely. what are some of those other ways? Absolutely. So again, there's, you know, I consider it to be kind of a spectrum. So, you know, if we've got a nonprofit kind of on one end and our for-profit and you can say like evil Wall Street company or something like on the <laughs> other end, in between there, um, there is social enterprise, which falls kind of in the middle. Uh, there is conscious capitalism is a, a phrase, you can Google it, um, but it's a process for kind of more traditional capitalist businesses to look for a win-win-win. So they're looking for a win. Um, people, and I am going to butcher this a little bit, but um, people, planet, and profit. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to help everybody along the way. So it's their staff, their employees, their customers, their um, vendors, you know, anyone that the company touches, it, they're working for a win for everybody, you know, in all of the different spaces. It's a lot of kind of top-down mentality. The leaders really do need to have that mentality. And it aligns, I think, a lot with servant leadership, like just it having does. that concept, right? So, um, but conscious capitalism is a is kind of an official thing. There's a chapter in Columbus. There are chapters in different cities. You can align yourself with that. You can get resources from, you know, those folks to help you know do that. Um, there are also two different B Corp certifications. They're both called B Corps, which is not ideal because they're two different things. One is um, the legal formation of your business called a B Corp. So it's similar okay. to a C Corp or an S Corp or you know an LLC. So the legal designation of a B Corp is a benefit corporation. Um, it's legal. In, I am going to say, 23 states. Um, last time I looked, it was in that range. And so Ohio is one of them. Ohio is not one of them. Really? Yes. And so, and as Wait, of the last I thought, time I looked. I thought well, Jenny's Ice Cream was well, a B Corp. So, they, um, yep. So, we had to. <laughs> is this where it gets interesting? This is where it gets interesting. <laughs> so, um, this is where it gets interesting. And I will be honest that I don't, I have never, I've been asked that question. And I need to, I need to look it up. Because the other B Corp is what I think think Jenny's okay so that's what I think and I don't know that for sure so we can maybe google it and edit this and fix it <laughs> but um no so there's B Corp Ohio is not a state and we did we don't have any legislature like recommending that we become wow. a state that allows uh, benefit corporations so a benefit corp really is a tax I mean it is a tax designation um you know just like any of these other options when you're starting a business it it just allows for your organization to um, kind of do what would be considered kind of crazy things with your money, right? Like to give it away as not, you know, as not profit, give it away to charity, do, you know, do a lot of different things that maybe as kind of a traditional for-profit would, the IRS might look at you a little mm -hmm. bit funny. So that's what the, that B Corp is. The other B Corp um, is a certification that comes from a company called B Labs. And okay. it is a really extensive process. Um, you have to renew every three years. You are judged on I'm going to say it's like a hundred criteria and you have to ha be working on like 80 of them and you have to be able to measure and like, it's an insane process. Um, I have not been all the way through it because it's crazy. And so that is what I believe Jenny's wow. is like, I think they fall and there are a lot of companies. So the honest company, Patagonia, Jenny's King Arthur flower, like some of those guys are all, I'm pretty sure Tom's is. Um, and actually I think Patagonia falls under both B Corps. Like they're, they're oh, both, wow. uh, 
like a registered B Corp and then also B Corp certified. Um, and it does not help that B Labs, the company, also uh, does a lot of research and tracks the, the legal designation side of things. So when you <laughs> Google it, you kind of get it all roads lead to this B Labs company. Oh. Um, and so it's a little confusing, but those are those are the different ways. And of course, you know, having a really strong, you know, volunteering program that is allowing people to use work time or, you know, I've seen companies that um, for every so many hours that their employees donate, you know, to a specific nonprofit, that nonprofit then gets a check for, you know, for however much money it is. And, you know, those sorts of things, of course, running um, philanthropic, uh, you know, campaigns for the United Way or for, you know, any of these folks and trying to fundraise. Um, these are the more kind of traditional ways that, that corporate leaders can can participate. But the other thing to keep in mind is that you can, with your dollars, choose to purchase from social enterprise, to purchase from B Corps, because your vendors, your cleaning company could be a social enterprise. There's, yeah. you know, she has a name cleaning here in Columbus that does that. Your landscaping could be Nature's Touch Landscaping from Alvis. Like those folks are doing great work. They provide excellent service. They have competitive rates, but they're helping people while they're doing it. Yeah. And so you could make that choice next time you go to renew your contract, maybe think about that and think about who you could be helping by making that choice. That's awesome. So what I hear you saying is even if that's another way a company or individuals really could mm -hmm. also get involved in this without actually having to work on a hundred criteria to become a B yes. Corp. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And it not in Ohio, be, of course. But. Right. Well, at all. Well, but you could. The hundred criteria. Well, yeah, the hundred criteria. Yeah, that is crazy. available in Ohio. Yes, yes. Yeah. But yeah, um, there are a lot of different ways people can do good. So... We had an event recently, um, by the time this podcast airs, it actually would have been about a month ago, but, um, I don't know. Should we say that on the podcast, Jonathan? Should we, should we have that timestamp? <laughs> okay. I was just curious if it's yeah, like, we record <laughs> things like way in advance. And I was like, wait, when was it? I'll just do this. Yeah. I'm recording this every single week. Right. So we um, did have an event last month and it's called Impact Columbus. Mm -hmm. And this event, we made a huge shift focused on, Big things that were happening in the community, looking at what's ahead for the community. And we brought in people like Sandy Doyle Ahern, Christy Angel, Michael Corey, Jamie Richardson of White Castle, and really let them speak to the audience about not only the impact that they're involved in, both through whether it be a nonprofit or a business, but also what we can all do. Because some of us are never going to have that platform. Some of us are never going to have that reach. But that doesn't mean we can't make an impact. So what can people do um, right now to get to make an impact in the community, no matter what the quote-unquote size of that impact looks like? Yeah. Um, that is a question that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, something that I do on the side is I teach a course at Ohio State and I, I work with those students. Um, it's called a socially just city and it's through the city and regional planning department, but it's a GE class. So we get a, a wide variety of students and um, we talk a lot about the inequity and injustice that we see in our cities today and how it was very deliberately planned mm -hmm. um, and created by people in power, um, all of whom, many of whom, you know, had white skin. And that was a very deliberate decision to create inequity 
equity and to keep people in those spaces for long periods of time that leads us to where we are today. And so we can look at different ways that individuals can do do good. And, and we talk about this in class all the time and you know, asking the students, what can you do? And um, today, actually, we had a conversation around um, our spending. And so back to that point about how you know companies can choose to use a different landscape or whoever, but so can individuals. And literally every time you spend a dollar, you are voting for something and you may, or, you know, by not spending a dollar, you're voting for something, you know? And so thinking through, you know, if, if you buy, and I mean, I, I am certainly guilty of this. I think everybody, everybody does, but if I buy clothes that are, you know, 12 bucks, who made those clothes? I'm, I am voting to allow that type of labor. And I'm saying that that's okay by, by spending that money. So being thoughtful about the dollars that you spend, um, as an individual is really important. Um, and the flip side of that, I, my firm belief, and we typically get to this conclusion by the end of the class, <laughs> is um, that really the other thing, and it may sound so simple, but is going and, and talking to people who are different than you, um, whether they look different, they have different beliefs, different you know, culture, it, it doesn't matter. Um, the more you expose yourself to people who are not the same as you, and it's hard sometimes to do that, um, but the more you do that, whether those are good or bad experiences or it's scary or it's not scary or you agree with the person or don't agree with the person, it ultimately doesn't matter because it's going to help you have a better understanding of a human and, mm -hmm. and the people that are around you and ultimately um, have more empathy and have more understanding and that ultimately that is what will improve our society. Less blame, less um, they othering, you know, saying they are this, they are lazy, they are yeah. stupid, they are whatever, and more saying, okay, well, I guess maybe I could be they too yeah. and trying to figure that out. One of my favorite quotes that uh, a friend of mine said was, I think we categorize people um, so that we can cancel them. And to me, that theying, mm -hmm. I'm going to use that from now on because yeah. I've tried to figure out that's, what that is. And that's a perfect description. <laughs> I think yeah. immediately people are like, yeah, yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. To me, the thing that we do and that others do is basically categorizing people. And when I categorize you, I keep you at a distance. And now I don't have to feel the emotional impact of treating you like you're not human. Mm -hmm. It's a dehumanizing act. Mm -hmm to do that to people. And it's actually the only way I can treat you differently because I don't believe we're really built to treat other human beings as less than human. So the way I do that is I make you other mm -hmm. because now you're not human. You're, you're an addict yeah. or you're, you're, um, you know, you're in a gang mm -hmm. or you're an ex convict or mm -hmm. just think of a million labels. Yeah. And as soon as we do that, we categorize people. And, yeah. um, I know that isn't our hundred percent on topic, but it just made me think that, that theying. I'm going to yeah. totally use that. I'm well, going to give you credit too. The, well, the, um, <laughs> sociological term is othering and that's been oh, used. Okay. like, so, I mean, you really could use othering and that other is, is an actual thing. I mean, we, again, we have a whole two classes on, um, it goes from othering historically. And so we talk about who, which populations have been othered and are still being othered. And then, um, it goes into conversation around implicit bias and stereotypes and racism. And, and we have that class to set up the rest of the class so that people understand what baggage we're all coming in with. And there is a, I mean, and, and you're absolutely right. Everything you said, I agree with. And I also, you know, would add that, there's a uh, natural 
part of human nature that has to categorize people mm-hmm. we are and, and things and experiences because we are getting so many inputs into our brain. Our brain has to, right? Like you don't have to at this point probably um, think consciously about hitting the gas when the green light comes. Right. So your brain is able to make that shortcut. So it needs to be able to make shortcuts in certain circumstances. It's that we need to be able to be aware of those um, and act to change them because the brain is malleable. And so yeah. you can. And so it's your implicit biases and there's, there's way better and much more uh, knowledgeable people out there that could talk about this. But what it boils down to is your first thought is your implicit bias and your first action is based on stereotypes or these other things. And so your first thought is your implicit bias. You don't have to act on that and you can change that over time. And so it's, you know, who you go to talk to at a networking event or who, you know, those are going to be things that are built off of your implicit bias, your experience that you've had, the media that you've seen, the people that you know, you know, whatever those things are, that's going to build your reaction, your initial kind of thought right away. And then it's, do you actually step over to those people or do you go somewhere else? What do you, you know, what do you do? It makes me wonder if an initial step that we can all take then is that step of awareness, Mm -hmm. just to know that when we're operating in this implicit bias, that that could actually keep me from making an impact. Because what if I'm afraid of a people group? What And I don't realize that that's how I'm showing up. Um, We have a board member that we were having a very open and honest discussion about diversity on our board in every way. Mm-hmm. And one of our board members put out a survey to the entire board and brought to the retreat this, you know, bar graphs and circles <laughs> and percentages <Yep. laughs> to really give us an idea of the total makeup of our board and every way you could think of, not just gender, not just race, but mm-hmm. religion, industry, experience level, age group, just every category that we could think of. Mm-hmm. Why did we do that? We wanted to find out, instead of just saying, hey, we need some more board members, and this is going to be a crude description, and no one said this, but yeah. as a shortcut, we need more board members of color. Right. Okay? Yep. That's the conversation. That's that's fine. <laughs> but what this data told us, mm-hmm. it, we got even more specific than that. Mm-hmm. We said, we need, a f- we need females. Mm-hmm. We need, you know, underrepresented groups. And whether that be African-American, Latino, mm-hmm. we need those with more experience because we have a, a younger board. Mm-hmm. So it helped us get really strategic and intentional because if you were to say to me, hey, Shannon, I'm looking for some new board members. Do you know anyone in the Latino community? I would go, oh, gosh, you know, I know a few people. But if you said, I need someone that has at least 30 years of business experience in the Latino community that is not from an insurance or financial industry because we already have a bunch of those, that causes my brain to get really disciplined. And so when we started talking about this on the board, one of the things um, that this woman on our board was challenging us to do is she said, take a look at your social feeds. She goes, just start scrolling. She goes, just pick Mm -hmm. one. I don't care if it's LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever. She Mm -hmm. goes, just scroll through. How many of the people showing up on your Mm -hmm. feed look like you? She goes, now what I want you to do, if you're serious about this, because she was like, you all are talking about getting diversity on this board and we should do that. And I want us to do that. I'm not saying this is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. She said, but until each of us commits to this personally, mm-hmm. it will not be truly reflected on this board and then in the organization. And so what she challenged us to do was to go through our feed and start following people that don't look like us. Mm-hmm. She goes, now you don't want everyone to not look like you. Like you, the goal is diversity, <laughs> right? That some people are going to be white if yeah. you're a white, you know, but 
we all got out our phones mm-hmm. and started looking through like LinkedIn. She goes, so what if you just made a commitment that the next 10 LinkedIn requests you sent were people that didn't look like you, no matter what? Mm-hmm. Not that not their role or what company they mm-hmm. were was the first litmus test, but it was yeah. maybe the second or third. And as we started doing that, like all of us, it was just this aha moment where we realized how we just automatically oh, that looks yeah. good. And we're just automatically connecting with people that look mm-hmm. like us. And so it was a huge shift for us. And now what we're doing is we're scheduling time in our quarterly board meetings for intentional conversations and actually little mini trainings on this mm-hmm. because we said, if we're going to do this and exemplify this in the organization, we've got to be living it right here. Yeah. And so I feel like that was, you know, for us, it might seem trite, I guess, but for us, it was a huge step because we all have the heart. We all want yeah. it to be there. But she was saying, that's great, but it takes a lot more intention than just wanting. Yeah. Hope is not a strategy. You know, we've right. got to do something. So yeah. yeah, that was our recent experience at the board level and it was super helpful. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it sounds like an amazing experience and a really good way to move forward. I mean, that's um, there are, there's an article I use in my class um, called The Other Side is Not Dumb. It's by a guy, I think his name is Sean Blanda or Blando. And um, it's all about that idea, not necessarily from what you look like, but from your um, belief system. And so how many of the people on your feed believe the same things as you, right? Like they are the others are dumb, right? Like it, who everyone I know believes XYZ about this topic who are these other people who don't agree with us? They must be stupid. They're dumb. Right? Like, yeah. it's just an easy, like, that's an easy thing to do. Right. And so it's an awesome article, and I'll send it to you. I'm surprised I haven't already. Um, but, Please do, and I'll link yeah. it in the, okay. we'll link it in the description awesome. of yeah. the podcast. It's a great, I mean, we use it, we read it in class, I send it out to all kinds of people, but it's a good, um, it's, it's a little eye-opening on this idea, because you're like, okay, well... You know, during an, a recent election cycle, how many of you unfollowed people because of what they My said? My hand yeah, is raised know, right like, now. <laughs> I mean, everybody, right? I mean, yeah. we, and it's because it, it was frustrating. It was whatever. And so trying to figure out, though, from a bigger perspective, like, what is the appropriate um, place for those conversations? And that's why when you asked me, you know, what can individuals do? I said, go talk to people because mm-hmm. social media is not it, at least not now, not the way that it is in the way it exists. It's not now. And it, I went through a social media training recently for my, for my nonprofit for sea change. Um, and one of the most interesting pieces of it for me was, uh, the demographic data behind who's on each of these platforms, even just as a broad, like who uses Facebook, who uses, LinkedIn. And really, um, lower income people and people of color were not on those lists. Wow. I mean, they, as, at a lower rate, I mean, they were using them, but not as, as often as folks that are wealthier and white. And so, you know, it, it, they aren't diverse to begin with. And yeah. so trying to figure out, you know, how we use that in, as a tool for opening eyes or having conversations or a constructive something is going to be hard. I mean, cause the people aren't necessarily different yeah. in a lot of ways. And so I don't know if that's relevant, but it's something that, um, you know, we've experienced, uh, experienced here. Well, I want to bring the conversation quickly to you personally. So you do so much. You're, you've got this class, sea change, and I know you run this thing. Sea change runs once a year, right? But it takes up how much of that year? 
Well, I mean, the is the, it pretty much the whole year between the, preparation and running a program? I mean, yeah, the, yeah, the program itself runs. Uh, we typically open applications in like April, and then the pitch is in September. Um, and now, I mean, we're starting. We actually just are signing. We're in process of signing our, our contract with our first affiliate, and they're. Applications will open next week. Well, I guess by the time this airs, about a month ago, and okay. um, they'll be running their program starting in January, and we're running that for them. So we'll is be that running here. Mm-hmm. What's is. that called? Um, it's with uh, the Keith B. Key Buckeye Social Entrepreneurship Program at the Ohio State University. Oh, that's cool. Um, they will be. It's actually. It's really cool. I'm very excited. They will be recruiting students both from Ohio State and from Columbus State, and bringing them together to create a cohort of student. Um, um, social entrepreneurs. Oh, very neat. Really Sounds fun. like exactly something that you would do. Yeah. So now you've got that on your plate, yeah. plus your company. How do you, you're, you're a mother, you, True. you're, <laughs> you, uh, you have a whole family yeah. going on here. Um, how do you manage all of that? How do you balance? And I use the word balance very loosely because I don't actually <laughs> believe balance exists, yeah. but how do you manage all of that? Let's use that word. Um, I don't know that I have a really good answer to this question <laughs> um, because it's funny because I guess you and I probably agree just knowing you know what I know about you about but I would argue that I feel like I'm kind of always in balance because I I prioritize in the moment and I don't allow myself to stress if something goes wrong or if I have to let something go all of a sudden or you know if I if I need to be home with my kids I don't allow myself to be thinking about work or I don't allow myself to be doing these things and I I segment my time very carefully um I typically don't do things in the evening <laughs> I'm thank here. you for being I'm here. here in the evening I feel so lucky <laughs> <laughs> um it's because Shannon's awesome and she said will you come and I said yes so um but yeah I mean like I have I try to keep pretty specific rules I mean yeah. and you know but part of it is truly that I'm I'm very um I don't know what the right word is even like honored or privileged or, you know, any, all of those things, um, because of the types of things that I do, I have a very flexible schedule. Mm -hmm. And so I can make those choices to prioritize in any given moment. I can make a choice to take more clients or less clients for next step. Um, I have amazing staff on both sides. I have a, a staff member named Bailey on the next step side who takes, all of the stuff, I mean, and, and she is awesome. She does everything that I hate doing. Like I can just <laughs> give her all of the things and she gets them all done and she's amazing. And then on the, the sea change size, we could not be expanding the way we are without Sarah, who's our program manager. Um, there's no way that we could be marketing it the way we are. We couldn't be running the affiliate program. Like none of that could be happening without her. And so um, being fortunate enough to have a team and, you know, and there are others uh, involved as well, but uh, without those two ladies and without a really strong board for for sea change that supports from an advisory capacity and the rest of the ecosystem of amazing people who are doing all this work, there's always someone. You know, if I if I need help, there's someone I can ask and and they'll help. So I think um, I I I get I am lucky enough to be able to do all the things because of that because I have help and and yeah. the Columbus ecosystem is so great. People are helpful. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. We just recently expanded our staff and had an event recently. And after the event, I was like, I can't believe I was doing this by myself for so long because this felt so good. I mean, just I have a program manager as well now. Mm -hmm. And it hit me after the event that I actually got to spend time talking to people after the event. I was there yeah. for an hour and 15 minutes talking to people 
which I haven't been able to do that in the last 18 months or so because I was busy directing volunteers, make sure we get this off the tables, don't forget to pick up any pens that were just all the little, little details. (laughs) And they're all important. It's not that they're not important, but my role in an event that we are sponsoring is to be available to talk to people afterward because everybody wants to talk to you. And I found out today, they also like to take pictures with you, which is really (laughs) weird to me. I'm like, are you sure you don't want a picture with this? Yeah, they do. They want selfies. And um, (laughs) I don't, that part's not my thing just because I don't think I'm that special. (laughs) But I guess the point I'm making is as, you know, if I'm the one, I'm the executive director of this organization, they just heard me talk on the program and then I disappear afterwards because I'm running around. I, I know no, nobody's ever accused me of not being approachable. It's Mm -hmm. just that if you see me busy running around, are you going to come up to me? You're going to feel like you're interrupting me. And so it really meant a lot to me today to know that the staff, the volunteers, they've got this and I can actually stand here and enjoy this conversation with this person I just met. And it makes a big, big difference. Absolutely. I have one more question for you. Okay. Um, You have seen a lot as you've worked with nonprofits, businesses, social enterprises, if you could, and if you need a second to think about this, <laughs> what do you see as the top three leadership gaps, whether that be skill, mindset, whatever, but what do you think the gaps are that they need the most help with when you're looking at it from like that startup phase? What is it that they're missing that they need the most help with? So, you know, as, as people are starting their businesses, I mean, I do... I think that one of the things that we've seen is missing is a path, is a is a clear and easy to follow path. Anyone can go out and kind of Google, how do I start this new thing, right? And anyone can take amazing classes that are happening at ECDI or at the library or Rev1 or Lumos, like there are a bunch of different things out there. Um, but I mean, I think people need that, that network to help them and an easy to follow path. So laying things out in a very logical way and saying, look, if you do, you know, A through Z, you will be able to start. And sometimes people need help making a decision to maybe not move forward or to pivot Mm. or to change what they're doing. And that's also something that we hope Sea Change gives people the opportunity to do. Um, There is no cost to participate for the participants in our, for the entrepreneurs in our program. And what that means that people can focus, you know, all of their time, any money that they've got on, on starting this business. And we hope that people use us as a sounding board. And often, you know, we'll, we'll take 15 organizations each year. Um, maybe one or two of them realize part of the way through that they're not going to be a social enterprise. They're going to be a nonprofit Mm -hmm. or they're going to be a for-profit that occasionally cuts checks to people. That's awesome, right? They're still doing good. All of those things are amazing. They're not a social enterprise. That's okay. They used us and our curriculum to figure that out. And and that's all right. And so I think sometimes people need to hear that it's okay. Yeah. Um, You know, in the process, I I had a, I will never forget a a phone call with a woman that I had a couple of years ago. Um, She had gone through the program. She had met with all the people, um, all the amazing people in the social entrepreneurship space, um, the Tony Wellses, the Emily Savers at the Columbus Foundation, all of the people. And she had fought so hard, she and her daughter, to create this social enterprise. And she wasn't selected as a finalist for our pitch. And when we had the call to talk about why, 
my response was, well, because you really are a nonprofit, like and in your heart, in your action, in your financials, like everything <laughs> you're showing me is that you are a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And she started to cry. And I was really nervous that I like broke her a little bit or something like something bad happened. And, um, she was like, thank you. She, she's yeah. like, I have been trying to fit a square peg into a round hole this whole time because everyone kept telling me I was a social enterprise, but I don't think I'm a social enterprise. I think I'm a nonprofit. And, and she was, I mean, and I was like, awesome, go be, go be a nonprofit, be an amazing nonprofit, have so much impact, do great work. That's gotta be freeing. And, and I get think that clarity. people, yeah, I think people need that and that level of honesty and that, that help. And, um, so I guess, you know, try, I don't know if I've done three things. So I think it's easy to follow a path. Um, truth someone, tellers, truth maybe? tellers, truth yeah, tellers. someone to help make those decisions. <laughs> the other thing that leaders would need really is a team. And, and people leave that off the list a lot, but we encourage our folks mm-hmm. from day one. And even, you know, even people I work with with Next Step, I'm like, okay, well, who's our advisory team going to be as we build this? And is it both staff and your board and outside people and our potential customers, like all of these folks should be on our advisory team. And another great thing, and I can speak very well to Columbus, but I've, I've heard this is the case kind of anywhere is that as long as you make a really specific ask to people and say, Hey, I need you, you know, Shannon to come be on my advisory team for this new business we're starting. You have this area of expertise that we really need. What that means is four meetings over the next eight months and then you're out, you know, no extra reading or homework or any of that, or maybe there is, right? There would be a few documents in between things for you to take a look at, but like, that's what I need. Do you think you could help us? Every, everybody says yes. I mean, yeah. I very rarely have someone who's like, oh no, you know, I can't. Um, I have seen more and more people protecting their balance and I do, you know, or whichever word we want to choose, but uh, kind of protecting their capacity and, and what they do. And I appreciate that as well. And I mean, I don't know anybody who would get mad if you said, you know what, I want to be able to give you 110% and I can't right now. Um, can you come back to me, you know, six months from now? I actually appreciate cool that when we're vetting board members yeah. and they look at the requirements. And our board requirements are not overwhelming at all, mm-hmm. I don't think. <laughs> but everybody only has, you know, we all have the same amount of time yeah. and we're all using it in different ways. And so if someone's over here like, well, I'm already on three advisory boards or four advisory boards. And, and while you're right, your commitment's not that big. I know that with everything else I have going on, and I maybe I travel a lot for work, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I'm not going to be able to give 100, percent and I don't want to do that to you. I would much rather hear that response than yeah. a yes, mm-hmm. and then you miss 75 percent of board meetings. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I do not want that. So um, I always appreciate that tremendously. Yeah, yeah. So I think building a team, having an easy to follow path, you know, however you find that. Um, and having someone either on that team or someone that you can go to, you know, that, that will help make those hard decisions and really, you know, tell you the truth and really help you, um, figure it out because otherwise you're going to sit and you're going to spin your wheels and some of that's going to happen anyway, but you're going to spin your wheels. You're never going to make what I would call a big D decision that, you know, you stick with for some period of time, um, and never going to move forward. So you need all of those three things. Well, thank you, Lauren. I so appreciate you you being on the Slapcast today. Of course. Um, It's been really just a pleasure to have you here and to talk to you again. It's been way, way too long. We shouldn't let this much time go by again. I agree. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.